Well, today's sermon is in the series about how Jesus handled things. And today, the sermon is, how did Jesus handle criticism? Is there anybody in here who has never been criticized? I didn't think so. Criticism comes with life, you know? And uh, sometimes we are criticized for trivial things, but sometimes we're criticized for weighty things and accused maybe of something that we know is not true. Or we're criticized and ridiculed for a social media post. If you're out there on social media and and you're active in that area, you know that people uh, are just looking for chances to criticize somebody and to pull them down on social media. If you've ever been criticized maybe for the clothes you had or the where you lived or if you're a student, you know, how, how you did things at school and people will pick at you and criticize. Have you ever been criticized for taking a stand for Christ? I got to tell you, I heard a, a, a speech this week. They had the National Religious Broadcasters uh, meeting here in Nashville this week at the Opryland Hotel and and. Uh, one of the persons who was speaking said, guess what, folks? Get ready. The world hates you, and they're going to start coming after you. We need to be ready. They're going to criticize us for our love for Christ and the fact that we live for him. Well, a lot of people in the world have faced criticism. Albert Einstein was criticized by his teachers for being lazy because he asked questions they didn't understand. That's Albert Einstein. Thomas Edison was criticized because he kept experimenting over and over and over again to find the right combination to get a light bulb. And hello, we have lights today because he persevered through the criticism. Michael Jordan was criticized. He was cut from his high school basketball team, but he also wasn't picked by a college because he was too short to play ball. Michael Jordan? Wow. Billy Graham was criticized. He was criticized because he associated sometimes with people who did not believe that Christ was the Savior of the world. And he would go to meetings and have world leaders and people and, and people criticizing for going to those meetings. He was criticized sometimes because He only talked about salvation and his messages were centered on salvation. And then on the other side, he was criticized because maybe he needed to talk more about justice and social justice and those kind of things. He was criticized for using mass media and advertising. He was one of the leaders that began to use those kind of tools to get the message out to the gospel. But it was different. And some of the religious leaders of the day didn't like the fact that he was doing that. He was criticized for it. If you look at the Bible, there's a lot of people in the the Old Testament and the New Testament who were criticized. Moses was criticized. He led the people out of the land, and then he got to the place between um, the Red Sea and the Egyptian army, and the people started complaining bitterly, you've brought us out here to kill us. And they criticized him when they didn't have enough food. They criticized him when they didn't have any water. They they were very, very critical. I can only imagine it wore on him. Joseph was criticized for being the favored son. Daniel was criticized and even sentenced to death because he worshiped God. 
David had a lot of enemies. Even his family criticized him. His wife criticized him. His son criticized him. His enemies criticized him. And he wrote this in Psalm 64. They have sharpened their tongues like a sword. They aimed bitter speech as their arrow. In other words, when I'm criticized, it goes deep and it hurts. New Testament, Paul was criticized for being a Roman. He was criticized for being Jewish. He was criticized for being Christian. All at the same time, because he was Roman, he was Jewish, and he was Christian. Everybody criticized Paul. Mary, the sister of Martha, was criticized because she wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus. Stephen was criticized and killed for his stance for Christ. And Jesus, oh, that's where we're going to center today. How did Jesus handle the criticism that came his way? One day, he's walking with his disciples through a field, and, and it's the Sabbath, and they're, they're going to wherever they're going, and, he, and the, the guys grabbed the, the, the wheat was, was ripe, and they grabbed the heads of the wheat, and they rolled it in their finger, in between their hands, and they'd eat it like popcorn. And the Jewish leaders saw it, and they said, oh, your men are working on the Sabbath. They're, they're uh, getting the husk off the corn. That's working. I'm supposed to do that. And he was criticized for that. One day he's in the temple and it's the Sabbath and he heals a man. And they say, oh, you can't heal somebody on the Sabbath. You're supposed to not do anything on the Sabbath. Wow. He faced a lot of criticism. I'm going to tell you a story today and we're going to look at, at uh, Matthew chapter 9. So if you have your device or you have your Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 9. And I'm going to, to, this is coming out of the New Living Testament because it says it in a little bit different way, and I want the the meaning to really come across. Matthew chapter 9, starting with verse 9, and we're going to take just 9 through 13, and we're going to take sections of this, and we'll talk about it, and I'm going to bring out a point for each section. So before we go into God's Word, let's ask the Holy Spirit to open it up to us. Would you pray with me? Father, we are going to talk about a subject that everyone in this room is familiar with. Criticism. It hurts and it stings. And Lord, we have to learn to deal with it. And we ask the Holy Spirit that you would open your word to us, make it come alive in our hearts so that we understand how to apply it in our situations. Thank you, God, that your word is alive and that it meets every need that we have. Thank you for your love letter to us. Open it, and may the Holy Spirit teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting with verse 9. And Jesus was walking along, and he saw a man named Matthew, and in some translations it says Levi, Matthew, sitting at his collector's booth. He was a tax collector. And they would have certain stations in across the city, and people would come by and pay their taxes. And Jesus said to him, follow me and be my disciple. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, get the picture here. Here's Jesus. He's walking through the streets. And he knows these uh, tax collection booths are all around. They were very common. 
but he had a divine appointment and he knew which booth he needed to walk by. He knew Matthew's name ahead of time. And so he's in the process of putting together his disciples and his team and he walks up and he says, hey, follow me. Now, Matthew knew who he was. I mean, Jesus was a rock star and he was gaining popularity all the time and he had crowds of people who followed him and the stories of the things that he did were out in the, in the, in the public domain. So Matthew was familiar. He was a tax collector though. Let me tell you about tax collectors. They were hated. They were despised. They were thought of as traitors. People spat on them when they walked by. They were the deplorables of the day. Nobody wanted any association with tax collectors. Wow. But Jesus knew he'd be criticized for this choice, and so maybe he was going to be more criticized for choosing Matthew than any other disciples, and he knew it. But this is the deal. Matthew went from a work doing what he took from people to a work of giving to people. And that changed his life. He was taking, and now he was going to give. And Jesus called him out, knowing that criticism would come. But he wasn't distracted. This is the, this is the issue. Jesus didn't care about the criticism. He wasn't distracted by it. He was to meet Matthew that day, and it was no coincidence. He had already faced criticism for hanging out with the wrong crowd, according to the religious leaders of the day. And he was focused on his purpose and calling. When you are criticized, you need to have laser focus on what you're about and your calling. Several years ago, my wife, who gives me uh, uh, really great gifts on my big birthdays, you know, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, yes, the 60s, you know, that kind of stuff. And so she gives me these big gifts. So she's one day, it's coming close to my birthday, and she says, get in the car. We're going somewhere. I said, all right. So we get in the car, and she said, get on 840 and start driving. She's not going to tell me where we're going. I said, where are we going? She said, I'm going to tell you. So we start driving. We get to Murfreesboro. And, you know, 840 at Murfreesboro takes a big turn in the road, and it starts heading north towards uh, 40. And so we turn, make that turn, and I said, mm, where are we going? And she says, okay, at the next exit, get off. And so we got off at the next exit, and the, the uh, exit said Nashville Super Speedway. And I said, there's no race or anything today. This was after they'd already closed and all that kind of stuff. And she said, keep going. Go to the speedway. My wife gave me for my birthday the NASCAR experience. Yeah. It was the coolest. I got to tell you. You get to drive a real NASCAR race car with other drivers on the track in a race. Now you would think, ah, oh, I don't know if I could do that. Well, here's what they do. They give you a class. And in the class, they talk about, you know, how to turn on the car and how to do all this stuff, but then how to drive the race. And this is one of the things they said. Now, when you're going, 
They said, when you're going, you're going to be going down the, the straightaway, and you're going to have to make a turn, a left turn, all over his left turn, always left turn. And he says, now what you want to do is look where you want the car to go. Don't look at the wall. Don't look at the, at the apron down there below the yellow line, and don't look at other cars. You look where you want your car to go. Now, i got to tell you, she also gave me the part of the experience where you rode with a real NASCAR race driver going like 200 miles an hour. And I was on the passenger side, and the wall was that far away. And it was going by like crazy. But the guy next school said, do not look at the wall. Look where you want your car to go. And when you get to that turn, you're going to turn. It's going to dive down and look ahead of the car. Don't look around. You have to be focused or you're going to crash. And when you're criticized, you need to be focused. And point number one is when you're criticized, don't be distracted from your purpose and calling. They will try to get you off track. They will try to get you to, 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 to think about other things and what God has called you to do. You've got to be laser focused. You've got to look ahead where you're going. Don't let this other stuff distract you. You have a purpose. You have a calling. Don't go to the right or the left. The Holy Spirit says, follow me, and I will lead you where you need to go. I look at verse 10. It's an invitation to dinner. And so later, Matthew invited Jesus to his, uh, and his disciples to his home for uh, a dinner guest, as dinner guests, along with many, here they are, tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. And when the Pharisees saw this, the religious leaders of the day, they saw this, they asked his disciple, now this is a question, why does your teacher eat with scum? That's what they thought of these people. And this translation puts it in a pretty plain language. Why does your teacher eat with these tax collectors? And most translations will say sinners. You can just hear the, the, the anger dripping off of their tongue. Sinners. And it just, oh, they hated these people because they weren't following their way. This is Matthew's farewell dinner. It's like he's retiring. He invites all of his friends, the friends that he had, who were tax collectors and other people that he knew who weren't real good synagogue attenders, which really offended the leaders of the day. And so Jesus went to the party. It's very interesting. Jesus went to a lot of parties. The first miracle that he did was at a party. Jesus was maybe not a party animal, but he liked parties. And he liked to, to have a good time and laugh and cut up with his friends. And so, in verse 11, the criticizer's ministry was to judge and condemn, not to restore. These Pharisees, were like doctors who didn't want to deal with patients. They had answers, but they didn't want to give them to the, the people who really needed answers. The core of their criticism was that Jesus was a friend to these sinners, 
the vile, the worthless, the wretched, the different, the despised, the outcast, and yes, the scum. But Jesus, here's the deal. Jesus knew who he was, and he did not let the criticism define him. He was sent by God. He was God's son, and he knew it, and he came to die for all those people that the religious leaders hated. And so point number two, when criticized, do not allow the critics to define who you are. You are chosen by God. You are God's precious child. You are so special that God sent his son to die for you. You count for a lot. You are not worthless no matter what anyone else may say. Your life has meaning and your life has purpose. God has called you and chosen you. Do not allow the critics to define who you are. See yourself from God's perspective, not from their perspective. That's critical. Look at yourself through God's eyes. What did he do for you? What did he pay for you? Oh, you are precious in his sight. So what happened after that? Verses 12 and 13. And Jesus heard this. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people don't. Do. And he said, that's an answer to the question, why does your teacher eat with these people, with these scum, with these people that we don't like? He said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now here's where he turns the table on them. Now, go and learn the meaning of this scripture. And he reaches back to the Old Testament. Now, these are Old Testament scholars. These people know the Old Testament like the back of their hand. They studied it every day, all the time. And this is the, the passage out of Hosea. I want, this is God speaking. I want you to show mercy, not sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. The part from Hosea is that short little statement, I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. You have, and you have to understand what he's talking about to these guys. These guys were all about offering sacrifices and people seeing them offering sacrifices and people hearing them offering sacrifices, people hearing them pray, people watching them and seeing them at the front of the synagogue, not the back of the synagogue, the preferred seats, not the seats for the common folk. And so Jesus said, God says to them, I want you to show mercy and not offer sacrifices. Our sacrifices don't mean anything if we don't have love and mercy for other people. God wants you to be rightly related to those around you. He wants you to be rightly related to your family. He wants you to be rightly related to your neighbors. He wants you to rightly be related to your coworkers. He wants you to rightly be related to the person behind the counter at the grocery store. He wants you to be rightly related to people. Why? So that he can live through you and influence them for him through you. God really doesn't care how often you come to church if you don't love your neighbor. God really doesn't care all the mission trips you go on if you don't have compassion for those who need compassion. 
Oh, and that was the Pharisees' problem. They were all about people seeing them and all about show, but they didn't have any compassion. They didn't have, if you didn't follow their rules, you were out of the club. That's the deal. Wow. And so Jesus didn't allow criticism to dictate his actions. And this is point number three. When you are criticized, do not allow it to dictate your actions or your speech. You see, Jesus didn't rail against them. He didn't challenge them as far as, as getting in their face. He didn't react, retaliate. He didn't belittle. But he gave them God's word. Here's your example. Where do you measure up? Is what he was saying. David says this as he talks about how you handle criticism and makes a difference in your lives and the lives of others. He says this in Psalm 162, I depend on God alone. I put my hope in him. He alone protects and saves me. He is my defender. I shall never be defeated. My salvation and honor depend on God. Not on me, on God. He is my strong protector. He is my shelter. When you are criticized, don't allow it to dictate your actions or your speech to hurt your testimony. Because how you react to criticism, others will see. You can act like the world or you can trust God. You can act like everybody else or you can say, God, you're my defender. I need you. I'm hurting. I've been stabbed in the back. I need you. So, four questions that I hope will help you keep your perspective. Number one, these aren't on the screen. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, is the criticism valid? Do I have a blind spot? You ever been driving in your car? and you kind of glance over your shoulder and you're gonna change lanes and all of a sudden, just in the nick of time, you see something, you pull back real quick. Judy hates that when I do that. You know, she just goes like that, you know. Sometimes we have blind spots and we don't really see what's going on. And maybe we're doing something or saying something or have done something that, that really deserves a little bit of hey. And when it comes from a spouse, yeah, okay. If it comes from a friend, that's a little different. But sometimes we have blind spots. Keep your perspective by thinking, is the criticism valid? Do I have blind spots? Number two, am I doing my best to fulfill God's purpose for my life? Am I fulfilling God's purpose for my, by the way I'm acting and how I'm handling criticism? Number three, am I willing to face criticism for Christ? Will I take a stand for him? Will I take a stand? I got to tell you, some, it's, it's, it's becoming less and less popular to be a Christian in America. In some parts of the world, you are killed for it. Not here, but in some parts of the world you are. Get ready. It's not going to get better here unless there is revival and Jesus comes back. And then number four, am I criticizing others? Maybe you don't even realize it and you've said some critical things. 
Maybe you responded to somebody's post on social media and you say, that was a stupid thing to say, blah, blah, blah. No. Am I critical? Am I critical? So there's the four points from a really short story in the book of Matthew. So here's my question for you today. Have you been criticized and you're hurting right now? Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a relative in a far off place. Maybe it was a neighbor or a coworker, but it stung and it hurt you deeply. Turn to the Lord. Let him be your strength. Let him be your helper. Let him be your guide to help you get over it. The next question is, are you a criticizer? Do you find yourself, if you listen to yourself, being critical all the time, finding little things all the time? Seek the Lord. Ask him to show you how to be who he has called you and made you to be. Not a criticizer, but one who builds people up. Those are decisions and questions we have to ask ourselves. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter. But sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.